1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 9 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ According to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Today we're going to be talking about faith and what sort of faith is genuine faith. At the heart of our faith, at the heart of what disciples of Jesus believe, is something called salvation. And that's probably nothing new for any of us. But but what are we talking about when we're talking about salvation? Because many of us have very different ideas of what salvation is. So when we talk about salvation, often in the Christian church, we talk a lot about what we've been saved from. We've been saved from sin, or more particularly, we we might talk about the way that we've been saved from the consequences of sin. Things like judgment, hell, damnation, eternal torment. At least back in the day, we used to talk about being saved from those sorts of things. But in our current more politically correct and less offensive culture, Uh, Many preachers are reluctant to talk about those sorts of things anymore. And so more often today, salvation is presented in terms of being saved from past hurt. All right, so that's stuff that somebody else has done to me. Therefore, well, it's not even really my fault, really. Or we might be saved from brokenness. And wow, I can be made whole again. And once again, that abrogates all personal responsibility. It's not my fault that I'm broken. And one of the favourite things that we like to be saved from today is addictions. And the message often gets given, come and be saved from your addictions. And it's all a matter of language, but but language is important because of what it conveys. Over the last couple of decades, we've had it drummed into us that an addiction is a disease that people suffer. And so if it's a disease, then I'm not responsible. It's just unfortunate that I've caught that disease, but it's great because I can be saved from it. But the important thing is that the gospel truth is that none of us can be saved unless we have a very personal repentance of our own personal sin against God and repent of our own personal rebellion against God and and against his righteous law. My sin was all entirely whose fault, do you think? Mine. It was my fault. It was nobody else's fault. I can't blame my sin on my circumstances. 
I can't blame my sin on my parents or on my society or on my genetic makeup. And it's the same for all of us. Our utter sinfulness before we're saved goes to the very core of who we are, which is why the only way for any of us to be saved is to be born again. We had that phrase in the reading today. That the, the Greek word that we translate as born again is anagenesis, which means regeneration. It's, it's to be born anew. In order to be saved, right, and when we're saved by Jesus, we become something which is beautiful and pure and holy. But first, we have to come to the realisation that we were rotten to the core and that we need to be born again. Right? So that's what we're saved from. We're saved from sin. We're saved from what we once were. But in the Bible reading that we just read, uh, here Peter's talking about salvation. But in this case, he's not talking so much about what we are saved from, although that's important too. In today's reading, Peter is highlighting what we are being saved to. See, in, in the Christian church, we, we all come from different backgrounds. Some of you will have grown up in Christian families. Some of you would have grown in, up in families that were downright anti-Christian. Some of you would have grown up in religious families but weren't really Christian. Um, we, we all have different experiences. We all have different upbringings. But the thing that we all have in common is what we're being saved to. And this is the great leveller. That's why people from all different backgrounds can come together and be one. Yes, our past is different, but our future is the same. So what are we saved to? Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There it is right there. We're saved to a living hope. You know, I've often heard people um, who aren't Christians sort of having a bit of the attitude, oh, I don't, I don't mind if he gets a bit of religion, just as long as if he doesn't become one of them born again Christians, as if it's the worst thing in the world. Um, but the thing is, there is no other kind. Some people use that terminology to go, you know, as soon as somebody starts getting real and fair income about their faith, oh, he's one of those born-again Christians. But I'm telling you, you can't be a Christian unless you are born again. Unless our faith is genuine, unless we have been regenerated, born again, there is no living hope. And if there's no living hope, there's only false hope, which is a dead hope. But through Jesus Christ, who has been raised from the dead, we, by faith, have been regenerated and born again to this living hope. All right? It just seems to be coming to one question after another. Fair enough. Well, what is the living hope? Well, here's the thing, this living hope, it's wonderful, it's glorious, it's amazing. But sadly, for many in our society, 
It's not the sort of hope that many people are looking for. Um, now that I'm old and I'm certifiably old because I'm a grandpa, so I can say, in all my years, and so I'm going to say that, okay? In all my years in the Christian church, I've observed many people who come to church and they want to kick the tyres of Christianity, as it were, right? Just get a, have a bit of a feel for it because, and they come because they, and they want to check it out because they have an immediate need or they have an immediate problem in their physical life and they want to have it fixed. And they come to church and they think, you know what, I'll give this Christianity thing a bit of a go. And they might be sick and looking for healing. Or they might be somebody that's having a few marriage problems and they think, right, well, I'll go to church for a bit and that'll fix my marriage or that'll fix my husband or that'll fix my wife. Or they might suffer a bit of depression or anxiety and think maybe, maybe I'll find the answers there. Or maybe they're just lonely and they just want to be with people and they turn up at church and, and they have this hope that all of their problems in their life are going to be magically cured and then they'll just enjoy life a whole lot more. And that's the hope that they have. That's the hope that they're looking for, to, to fix their immediate physical life and make it a bit more pleasurable, to enhance their life, make it more satisfying, as it were. And you know what? When we are truly born again, many of our problems will be fixed. When we give our lives over to Jesus, when we repent of our sin, when we repent of our selfishness, when we we put away our old way of life and our old way of doing things, and when we begin to live God's way, where we're no longer living our lives for ourselves, but we're living our lives for God, many of our problems will be fixed. All of those problems that are generated because we're so so self-centred and because we're doing things against God's way, many of those things will be fixed. But But the thing is, That's not what most people are looking for. Most people come to church, kick the tires, give this Christianity thing a bit of a go. They're just looking for a bit of a repair of their life. They're wanting their circumstances to go a bit better without having to go through a true regeneration. They have the attitude, actually, I'm actually pretty happy with who I am. Not going to change me. Well, if we come with that attitude, we can never be saved. And our lives can never be fixed. And the expectation that everything's going to be so much better for them once they start going to church and getting a bit religion into them, well, it just doesn't work out as they hoped. And today, there are many, many churches who are preaching a gospel, often a false gospel, that promises all sorts of physical blessings now. But when Peter described the living hope of genuine faith, he wasn't describing something which which is immediate. He was describing something which we would look forward to. It's an inheritance. An inheritance isn't something we, we want to rush too much, is it? An inheritance isn't something which we earn. It's not something that comes at a time that we determine and... Even though we look forward to it, we don't have an inheritance straight away. And Peter says it's imperishable. 
That means it's something that will last. It's not something that's going to go off like a piece of meat out in the sun or like a piece of fruit. It's not something that's going to go stale like a piece of chocolate cake. It's not something that's going to start to rust like a motor car. And it's not something that's going to fall into a shambles like a, like a house. He says it's imperishable. It lasts forever. And he says it's undefiled. That means it's pure, it's moral. It's not something that's going to corrupt us. And he says it's unfading. Robin had a 50th birthday um, a little over a month ago. It's probably nearly two months ago, is it? Not quite. Um, and um, we had up, done up a, a nice little arrangement or a nice little posy of flowers. What's the difference between an arrangement and a posy, by the way? Is it to do with the size or it, it is to do with the size? So is it an arrangement or a posy? It was an arrangement. Okay. An arrangement of flowers that, that went on her cake. And you know what? It's been cluttering up our fridge ever since. I think, Robin, why would you do that? Why would you put flowers in the fridge? And she went on to explain to me that um, she has a bit of a problem in that her husband rarely buys her flowers. And so when she does get nice flowers, she needs them to last for as long as what they could possibly last for. Now, I know that you guys find that really hard to believe, that she has a deficit in the husband department, but that's just the way it is. Um, and so the flowers are being kept in the fridge so that they last as long as they possibly can. But even so, I know that in a few months' time, guess what those flowers are going to be? Compost. Right? They're very beautiful now. But it won't be that long, and I'll take them out, and I'll bury them somebody, probably somewhere near the fruit trees so they can, they can feed the fruit trees in, as compost. But isn't that the way that so many things go in life? We have our hearts set on something, and we save up for it, and we work for it, and, then and, and we finally get it, and woohoo, this is great. But there comes a time when it begins to fade. So the beautiful flowers become compost. The family photo up on the wall begins to fade. The shiny new car doesn't seem to shine anymore or it's hit a couple of kangaroos and it doesn't seem to have the same shape it once used to have. Or the beautiful puppy gets old and shaggy. Or the beautiful young wife, no, we won't go there. But the living hope that we look forward to, it never fades. It goes on and on. And Peter says that it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Our living hope that we're looking forward to, it's so much bigger than what we can imagine. It's so much more precious than, than the everyday things of life. It's everlasting. And this is our salvation. This is what we're saved to. Is it something that we get straight away? No, it's not. We're told here that it will be revealed in the last time. When Jesus returns, all things will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And those who have been regenerated, those who have been born again will be with Jesus in his glory forever. 
Now, Peter says something here that's interesting. He says that we're being guarded through faith to this salvation that will be revealed. Now, when we talk about being guarded through faith, that sounds like very safe sort of a place to be, doesn't it? With God guarding us. But as we read on, we realise that God guarding us doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be kept physically safe. In fact, far from it. Did God ever promise that we would be safe as Christians? No. In fact, he told us the exact opposite. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross to follow me. He told me that, he told his disciples, all men will hate you because of me. Because of this faith that we have, in this world, we will suffer. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the Christians that Peter was writing this letter to were suffering terribly under the persecutions of Nero. And Peter had been seeing it unfold before his very eyes. Peter was in Rome himself where the worst of the persecutions were happening. Some of those Christians, Nero covered in the skins of wild animals and then he set his hunting dogs onto them. Many of those Christians were crucified. Some of them he used as garden lighting. So when the sun went down, he coated them in tar or pitch and he set them on fire to light his garden. How cruel and hideous is that? And even Peter himself, a number of, a bit, little while later, we understand that he was crucified upside down. God's power was guarding their faith, right? And, and, and because of their faith, through all of these hideous persecutions, they could continue to rejoice. You see, that's what true faith does, and that's what the hope that we have does. It, it leads us to joy. Even though our lives can just be going awful, and there's horrible things happening, there's there's room for joy. But what does true joy look like? I get tired of when hyped up exuberance gets presented as an expression of joy in the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Some church traditions try to generate a pretty much an, an atmosphere of joy and woohoo, we're having a good time today in the church. It's the same sort of ecstatic exuberance you might find in a football stadium or at a rock concert. And in a situation like that, if you take away the main entertainer, what happens to the joy? Or if you take away the musicians, they're lost. How can you worship without all this fantastic music? Or if you take away the lighting and God forbid the smoke machine, the rejoicing atmosphere just tends to fade. Now, if our rejoicing is dependent on those sorts of things, do you think we're talking about true joy? Or are we talking about something which we're trying to conjure up? True joy recognises that in the context of eternity, our present sufferings, they only go on for a little while. But our inheritance in Christ Jesus is assured and it's eternal. And in this, we rejoice. 
See, this is where the rubber really hits the road. We're talking about true faith, genuine faith. Is our faith truly genuine? Is my faith the sort of faith that causes to me rejoice, to rejoice even through sufferings and trials and persecutions? Or is my rejoicing dependent on atmosphere? And if you were to be put in the position of the Christians in Rome, where you were told, denounce Jesus or I'm going to set you on fire to light my garden up, what would you do? Is your faith such that you would say, light me on fire, I'm not going to deny Jesus? Or if you were put in the position that many Christians were put in only a couple of years ago, when Christians in the Middle East, um, in, in villages that were Christian villages, and, and ISIS would roll into those villages and say, denounce Jesus and convert to Islam, or we're going to cut the heads off you and your children. What would you do? That happened only two, three years ago in our, in our world. What would you do? Is our faith such that we would choose never to deny Jesus? I love my family dearly, but I love Jesus more. Peter recognises that, that persecution is where our faith either stands or it falls. This is where our faith is proved genuine. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In two weeks' time, Robin and I will have been married for 28 years. Um, and everybody applauds and goes, Woo! And they marvel, my, Robin must be long-suffering. Um, but I'm starting to think that if Jesus doesn't come back in the next couple of decades, I'm going to have to buy Robin another wedding ring. Because her pure gold wedding ring, I noticed the other day, it, it's wearing away. It's just getting thinner and thinner and thinner. I guess mine is too, but mine's made out of an alloy, so it's not, not as soft as a pure gold one. Um, but we know out of all of the metals, part of the value of the gold is the fact that gold doesn't tarnish. Pure gold doesn't oxidise. And so it lasts and it lasts and it lasts. So even though Robin's wedding ring is wearing away, the gold still exists. She just leaves gold dust wherever she goes. Um, it's just wearing away, getting left on the ground somewhere. But if you throw gold on, in the fire, it just melts and it changes form, but it's still gold. 
And gold is very precious. At, at the moment, gold is almost at a record price. Like over the last few months, it's sort of been hovering around about $2,700 an ounce. That's ridiculously high. But here's the thing. Physically, gold is the most long-lasting metal in our world. Gold is forever, physically. And fire doesn't destroy it. Fire refines gold. But even gold will perish. Even gold will be destroyed. The most precious, the most pure, the most lasting metal will perish. Everything will perish. Every physical thing that you know of, that you look around, it's all going to disappear. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know whether he's going to take it right back to the atomic level or the subatomic level. I don't know. But it's going to be destroyed and he's going to rebuild it. Now, we all know the saying, you can't take your money with you. And we know that's true. But even so, even though we know this, we, we still like to store it up for our children to inherit. But there will come a time when Jesus returns in all of his glory and the old earth will pass away everything in it and all of that entails including the gold it'll all pass away everything that is physical will perish even life itself but Peter is saying here that there is something that is not going to perish there is something that's going to go on and that's genuine faith genuine faith will not perish even if it's tested by fire. Now, can you understand how the reality of this for Peter? Even, even those around him who were getting set on fire to be used for garden lights, they would not perish. Yes, their bodies would die, but that sort of faith would result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus appears. You see, this is genuine faith. You haven't seen Jesus, have you? I'm assuming you haven't. I haven't. You haven't seen him. Do you love him? It's not a rhetorical question. Does it, is there anyone here that loves Jesus? I see some nods of head. I see a hand up. Nobody's going to say, yes, I do. Does anyone here love Jesus? Yes, I do. Oh, good. Excellent. You know what? The world thinks you're crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you love somebody that you've never seen? Why would you make the most important life choices? And in fact, your whole life revolves around this bloke, Jesus, who you haven't even seen. Why would you do that? Faith. That's what faith is. You haven't seen him. But you love him. And even though now we can't yet see Jesus, and even though at times it seems like evil might be triumphing, we believe in him. And that, my friends, is genuine faith. 
Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we cannot see. And that's what genuine faith is. Um, I heard a preacher talking about that verse once, and he just twisted it terribly. He said, you know, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. And then he used it to say faith is believing in things for, for here and now. Yeah, like, I've seen that job. Yeah, yeah you, you can't see that job, but you, you want that job, and you're praying for that job, and you're believing for that job, right? Or this other thing that you're wanting. And it's just such... It just twisted that scripture so badly. Took it away from completely what it's talking about. It's talking about being with Jesus when he returns. This is what our faith is. Peter describes it like this. He said, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. What's the outcome of our faith? The salvation of your soul. see, the outcome of our faith isn't so much about physical blessings now. Although in God's mercy and in the sovereignty of God, he sometimes does grant us physical blessings now. And we praise God. But the promise that we eagerly anticipate our living hope isn't these things that we might happen to receive now. Our living hope is the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our soul. Now, this takes a completely different mindset, doesn't it? Right? As Christians, our minds are set on eternal, the eternal blessings of the eternal presence and glory of Christ. Whereas just about everybody else, it's, it, their minds are set on, okay, what can I do to make my life better? What can I do to enjoy my present circumstances better? How can we have this completely different mindset? It's almost like we need to have a reset or a reboot. And that's exactly what it is. We need to be regenerated, born again. We can't have this eternal perspective until we are born again. And perhaps it's because our lives are not currently at risk of following Jesus that we get so focused on this life and we get so focused on our needs. You think about this. If you were in the situation that, that those Christians were in a few years ago where you knew, okay, in the neighbouring town, so let's say at Tallwood, at Tallwood now there's ISIS are there, they've just killed all the Christians there and they're on their way to St George. And there's nowhere for you to run, so you're going to have to stay here in St. George. What's going to be the most important thing for you? Getting the new motor car? Getting the new house? Being healed of the sore foot? What's going to be the most important thing for you? Knowing that your faith in Jesus is strong and that you're going to stay strong. And I think it's probably because our lives aren't in that sort of a risk that we tend to focus so much on this life. 
But genuine faith stands the test. Genuine faith looks beyond this life with an eager expectation of the salvation of our souls. And genuine faith expresses itself in love for Jesus. You see, if I don't seriously love Jesus more than anything else in my life, then my faith isn't genuine. I thought a lot about genuine faith over the last few weeks. Um, and I, I've often heard even Christians describing certain unbelievers as, you know what, they've got a sort of a faith. They sort of believe there's something out there or there's something in it that they're just, that they're just not yet giving their hearts to Jesus. And, and we sometimes say this in a way of saying, yeah, they're close, but they're just not there yet. Did you know in reality how close that is? I, I was interested with Andrew's little, little example of swimming the river and he threw his robot in. Because I, I was going to use the example of imagine if you're on your way to Victoria, sorry, on, on your way to Tasmania and you drive to Victoria and you stand on the shores of southern Victoria and you look out across Bass Strait. Yeah, I'm nearly in Tasmania. All I've got to do is swim Bass Strait. Very treacherous passage of water. All I've got to do is swim that and I'm there. You know what? I reckon that's about as close as when we say, you know, somebody's got, so-and-so's got a, a bit of a belief there. He's just not, just hasn't yet trusted in Jesus. We're nowhere near it. Faith isn't faith until it's genuine. And hope isn't a living hope until it's genuine. Now, what, what Peter wrote here, this would have been an enormous encouragement to those people that he is writing to because they were a suffering church. They had this living hope. And so him describing this living hope that they had, that they had been regenerated, they had been born anew, and they were eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus. And he's reminding them of all of these things. What a marvellous encouragement it was for them. But you know what? For some of us today, it might not be such an encouragement. For some of us, it might be a very real encouragement and our hearts are set on, on eternity with Christ and we're really looking forward to this and what a joy this is. But for others of us, it might be actually being presented as more of a challenge than an encouragement. Because you might be sitting there thinking, actually, Michael, I, I'm not actually sure that I have the living hope that you're talking about. I love other things so much more than Jesus. Another thing so much, seems so much more important to me than Jesus. So I guess the question is, what are we going to do with that challenge? What kind of salvation am I looking for? Am I looking to have my life enhanced? I just want something to spruce up my life a bit, thanks, Jesus. And so when everything's going well for me, I'll be able to praise God. Or am I looking to have my life 
regenerated, to be born again. And I eagerly anticipate the appearing of Jesus and the salvation of my soul. Because that's what genuine faith is. And that's our living hope. And I'd invite you now, if you don't yet have that genuine faith, if you don't hold this living hope, but you know that God has been working in your heart and this is something that he's calling you to, I'd invite you right here now, today, to surrender your life to Jesus, to be born again. Let's pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, how wonderful you are. How merciful you are. Lord, I recognise that my life doesn't merely need to have a few tweaks and a few enhancements. I need a rebirth. And so, Lord, I repent of my sin. And I confess to you, Lord, I have sinned against you in so many ways. It wasn't anyone else's fault. It was entirely my own. I've made my own choices. I've been so self-centred. I've been so fixated on this life and, and even on the blessings of this life. But Lord, I want to thank you for the living hope that when Jesus appears, that that we will attain the outcome of our genuine faith, the salvation of our souls. Lord, we love you. Even though we can't see you, we love you, Lord, with our whole being. And we rejoice. And Lord, we pray for strength. We pray for strength for ourselves to to hold on to this faith, that you would guard our faith, Lord. And we pray strength for, for the Christians in this world who are suffering for you. We pray for the Christians in North Korea and in other places like Afghanistan and India and China. We pray for the Christians in Iran and Turkey and Kenya and in many other places. Lord, we pray for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer for your name's sake. Lord, we ask that you would keep them strong, that you would guard them and that you would guard their faith and that you would give them an inexpressible joy even as they endure trials and persecutions, that their faith would be proved genuine. And Lord, we pray for ourselves that when we are tested, that our faith would be proved genuine to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.